hello there! Welcome back to another episode of I Love This, You Should Too, a podcast. We are a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. And I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Indy Randawa. Hi, everyone. And I am Samantha Hees, and we are here to podcast. How are you, Indy? I'm doing great. I'm just sitting here with my good friend, Christian Slater. Oh, hello, Hi, Christian. it's me, Christian Slater. <laughs> I was doing it before, and of course now I can't do it. You were doing it on the couch really well. Yeah, because we were watching Heather's, and when you have the person in front of you, it's much more easy to impersonate oh, them. Oh, I thought he was here. How about you, Samantha? How are you doing in your best Winona Ryder imp- I impersonation? I don't think I can do a Winona Ryder, but I'm good. Having a nice time. Good. I feel very unprepared for today's episode. Usually we have some time after watching it and I write my little notes and I theorize and I go up in my little movie world. Not so much this time huh. because we were busy. We like bought a house. Yeah, we're planning a wedding. <laughs> planning a wedding. I'm going away this weekend for a work event that it's I've been, been planning. quite a week. And I think we just watched this yesterday. Yeah. So... Um, I know we're going to have a lot of diehard Heathers fans out there because I think the people who know of Heathers love it very passionately. So hopefully we can do it a proper service. So before we start our deep dive into Heathers, the movie, uh, we wanted to take a moment to talk about Yeg Podfest 2021. This episode of our podcast is brought to you by Yeg Podfest, presented by the Edmonton Community Foundation in partnership with the Alberta Podcast Network, which we are proud members of, and LitFest, Canada's nonfiction festival. The festival runs October 1st through 3rd, and Yeg Podfest will be held all online this year due to the current world situation, so anyone can tune in and experience it. Events include masterclasses with professional podcasters like us. I don't know about that. There are panel discussions, feature interviews, and much more. Some of our fellow APN members will be there too. So join them for the virtual party from October 1st through 3rd. And you can check out the full lineup and get tickets at yegpodfest.ca. That's Y-E-G podfest.ca. And maybe after they hear my great Christian Slater impression, we'll be on there next year. Yeah, they'll be like, let's talk about impressions. Let's talk about impressions. <laughs> oh my god. It's creepy. I don't like what you do with your face when you make that. He's a pretty creepy guy. He is a pretty creepy guy. What do I do with my face? I get squinty. Right? You get squinty and like you drop your head back and then start doing this thing with your hand. So, Indy, this was kind of a different episode for us because I hadn't seen Heather's before I suggested we watch it. Yeah, normally how this podcast works is we take turns picking something that we love, that one of us loves, the other hasn't seen, and then we talk about it and we get the other person to watch it and we try to convince them that they should love it as much as we do. But in this case, Samantha hadn't seen Heather's, but still picked it because she feels like she should have seen it. Yes, this is another I should have seen this. So we're going to watch it together, even though you've seen it already, too. That is a much longer podcast title. (laughs) Ours is already pretty long. Yeah, it's true. Um, So I 
didn't really know anything about this movie other than kind of that it inspired a whole bunch of other movies that I've seen. Um, and that people bring it up all the time and are diehard fans of it. I'm glad that people bring it up all the time because since I've seen it, I rarely hear about it at all. So I'm glad that it's still out there and really? people are talking about it. Yeah. Oh. When I saw it, I was about 20 and one of my friends, I think it was her favorite movie. She dressed as a Martha for Halloween, <laughs> wearing the big fun shirt and had Coke stain and a suicide note taped to it oh. or pinned to it. Yeah. And she was a huge fan and would quote it all the time. So I finally watched it, of course. Right. And I liked it quite a bit, but I hadn't seen it in, how old am I now? Like 16 years. So I haven't seen it in quite a while. Upon your first viewing now, what did you think? This is a complicated answer. It is. It's a complicated movie. It is a complicated movie. Uh, I was not expecting this to be the movie that it was. Right. Did you get kind of why I say this movie is as much American Psycho as it is Mean Girls? Yes. I think I was expecting it a little bit more to be Mean Girls than it was American Psycho, but it actually kind of leaned more towards American Psycho than Mean Girls. Yeah. Um, for future reference, have you seen American Psycho? No. Okay, we'll do it at some point. I know like about it, but not. But I think like Heather's... You may think you know about it, but then you actually watch it and it's maybe not what you think. Okay. Like, I think Heather's and American Psycho share a lot. So I'm very curious to find out what you think, because do you feel like it can be fun and enjoyed on the surface? Do you feel like because of our current climate, it has aged poorly and could be like too flippant in a post-Columbine world? Do you feel like this is one of those movies where you either get it or you don't? Um, I feel like it's a little too much in a post-Columbine world, for me anyway. I've okay. read a book about Columbine, and so like I know quite a bit, and it is very Columbine-y. It is. It predicted a lot of things, and I'm not talking about the uh, the violence in school. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that, but... First off, did you like the movie? Um, I liked it. I don't think I loved it. Okay. It was something that kind of like caught me off guard almost. So I feel like it took me... I feel like if we had let this sit for a couple more days, I might have said I love it. I, I had a such a busy day at work today, I don't even know where the time went. So mm -hmm, I'm too. like, did not have a moment to sit and think about it. Usually like on my lunch or something, I'll do some notes and stuff, but I just didn't have time to do that with this movie. So I think there's a lot to unpack about this movie because I feel like some of it I just didn't get. And... I'm hesitant to speak about anything like that because I really feel like you're talking down to people when you're like, oh, you don't like it, you just don't get it. Because yeah. I've had people say that to me a lot about movies that I don't like, like anything Baz Luhrmann. They're like, oh no, but it's modern music because teens are all the same all through history. It's like, no, I get it. It's just dumb. So I hate when people say like, you just don't get it. Right. Because it's kind of taking the onus off the filmmaker because really, a film should be accessible that people can get it. Mm -hmm. And I'm, as snobby as I am about movies, I'm really hesitant to 
say that movies are too smart for people. Mm. But maybe that can be the case because you can't always blame a um, an artist, whatever they are, for their fans or for their detractors, right? Because right. there's a lot of things that I love. Like, I love the show Rick and Morty. I hate people who love the show Rick and Morty <laughs> because we love it perhaps for very different reasons. I'm not entirely sure because I don't want to paint everyone with a, a broad brush, but it's an interesting situation because I did read a little bit of some reviews around the 30th anniversary of this movie. Mm-hmm. And usually I would read maybe one thing that's kind of like a recap to, to help me remember the movie. And in this case, I read a few things because everyone was complaining about it and saying how it's a terrible movie and how dare they, how dare they be so flippant about serious things. They're glamorizing suicide and violence and you could never make this kind of movie in a post-school shooting world. Mm -hmm. And my first reaction to all of that is like, no, you just don't get it. (laughs) And I think for a lot of those reviews, at least that I read, I think that's the case because I think there is such a fine line between satire and glamorization. Because I think when you treat something... flippantly I've said that a few times but I think that's how this movie is with a lot of it it's not that the filmmakers believe that these things don't matter I feel like they are reflecting something that they see in the world Mm -hmm. they are providing a commentary on these things not being a part of them okay does that make sense thus far I know we'll, we'll talk about it more and we can get into specifics but it's just that so many people they had watched it as a kid and they thought it was hilarious and they watch it again now 30 years later and they realize that it's really problematic and I don't feel like that's necessarily a warranted criticism. I think that in a lot of the cases of what I read they clearly didn't understand it as a kid. Mm -hmm. They thought it was breakfast club but sillier. Right. And if you're thinking that it treats these things lightly or glamorizes them I feel like you're also just kind of not understanding what they were going for now. Right. I definitely think that this movie is a hard one to kind of take lightly. Like, there are some movies that we've watched where I'm like, I don't know that I just, like, got as deep into it as you did. But this one, I feel like it would be very hard to take this one at just, like, surface level. Or to just see it as, like, old-timey mean girls. I feel that way because it goes so far, mm-hmm. right? It's not just a little bit edgier than Mean Girls. It's it's a completely different yeah. type of thing. And they're not just like alluding to stuff. They're, it's like all there. Yeah, there's there's murder. Yeah. There's several murders. It's not like something can go over your head. You watch them murder multiple people. So it's it's hard for me to say that this is like a casually watchable movie. But it has all the external showings of one, yes. right? It has uh, great costuming, a lot of like great one-liners, and a lot of humor to it. But I think when people are thinking it's problematic, it's they are thinking it's a proponent of the things that it is actually criticizing. So maybe we're probably going to talk about it being a satire, because that's what I believe it is. But we have had many cases where you'll be watching something and I'll ask if it's a satire. And of course, that upsets you because you're like, no, it's not a satire. And I was like, it's so over the top that I think it's satirical. <laughs> so so let's circle back maybe towards the end and talk mm-hmm. about 
if this is in fact a satire, and if it is, if it's successful at being that. Do you have thoughts on that now? I'm slowly putting them together. Like I said, I think I'm going to be a little slow on the uptake on this one because I just haven't had the time to like ruminate in it. But I think I'll have more to say on that later. Is this going to be one of those where I say like, hey, this is why it's great. And then you're like, hmm, yeah, okay, maybe. Probably. (laughs) All right, I will take that. You're pretty good at like turning me over to your side. (laughs) (laughs) If only I could use my ability to convince you of things on things outside of movies, but it's pretty much just (laughs) that. (laughs) What things would you use that on? Getting you to um, eat the food I like, be on my sleep schedule. Like You don't have a sleep schedule. (laughs) Exactly, but let me tell you why it's great. No, wait, let's save that for our other podcast, Up All Night with Indy. Oh, okay. That's what you do when you stay up all night. Yeah. <laughs> You're podcasting. So maybe just to finish those thoughts until we come back to it later, what did you find didn't work or that was too much? Was it like JD's character? Was it the uh, misogyny that you see in here? Is it all the violence? Is how the violence is treated? Um, I definitely think JD's character was very over the top. I think... In a good way or in a bad way? In a bad way. Okay. It made him almost like not believable. Mm-hmm. I know he was supposed to be kind of crazed at some points, but it, it made him seem almost like a supervillain, not like a troubled teenager. Right. And I think that that kind of took away from, for me, um, some of the ability to kind of get lost in it because it was felt a little bit like the Joker or... Oh, he was very Joker. Like and the, you know who played Joker uh, one year after this? Jack Nicholson. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, or I was going to say, like, like any kind of old-timey villain... Right. That's kind of what he seemed like. And for me, that just like didn't really work with the movie. It felt very kind of gimmicky almost. They were like, oh, we don't know what to give this guy as a personality. So we're just going to make him like a mustache twirling villain guy. Should we talk about JD now or do you want to talk about light stuff and then come back to this heavy stuff at the end? No, let's jump right in. All right. So does he appear lovable or charming or dashing or anything at any point in this movie maybe at the beginning when Mm -hmm. we don't know as much about him he seems like that troubled troubled like dark handsome guy that is often the love interest in movies where he's like dark and mysterious and it pulls her away from her like popular jock boyfriend i don't know but like that's often something that you see in movies like this Yeah, because I think this takes JD from, like, all of those romantic comedies, and it just takes everything a step further and a step too far, like Mm -hmm. you were saying, to show you how silly all of those kind of tropes are. Right. Like, for the first bit of the movie, he's exactly what the love interest in a lot of romantic comedies is, and he's the only one who notices her, and he comes and he visits her in her bedroom, And that's something that is in a lot of movies as a good and romantic thing. Yeah. And I like what they do with him because they start him off at a point where we're all familiar with that character. He's so many characters. That's the the dark brooding guy. He's 
Angel and Buffy. He's John Cusack in most of John Cusack's <laughs> movies. But like both of those characters, if you take their actions out of the context of a romantic comedy, it is straight up psychopath behavior. Mm-hmm. And they don't stop it be just before it gets to that level. Right, there's a curve. They of it. let it go. They let it go to the logical conclusion of a guy in a trench coat who watches a woman from far away, doesn't talk to her, and then appears at her house. Yeah. I don't know why movies keep saying that's romantic, that is a terrifying stalker behavior, and should be treated as such. And mm-hmm. this movie does that. And that's why I... I don't want to say I like the character of JD. I like what they do with him. They take it to that next step where mm-hmm. he is just a straight up villain and he's like a caricature of a villain, like you were saying. Yeah. But it is fitting because it's not look at this real life character. I feel like the existence of his character is to show like. Look at all those people that you think are romantic or that you want to emulate. They are crazy. Don't be like that. Don't be with men who are like that. Here's your first I agree with you of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, I can definitely see what they were trying to do, but that just didn't, I don't know. It didn't work for me. I understand that a lot of the behavior, classic romantic comedy behavior, is very creepy and gross when it's not painted with like a a bubble lens. Is that a thing? A bubble, bubble lens? lens? Um, looking through rose-colored glasses? Sure. Yeah. That's what I mean. Um, so I think that I can see what they were doing, but for me it was still too gimmicky. How do you mean gimmicky? Like, like I said, he seems um, like a cartoon villain and it just didn't, it never got to the point with me where I could see that they were pushing it so far to make it seem like almost the opposite of a romantic comedy. So you think he should be, go further? No, I think he should go less far. But if you look at like um, Love Actually. Uh-huh. Our favorite movie. People look at the behavior in that and, and they say it's romantic. Yeah. So I don't know if you can play that subtly because there's people still who will look at this movie and say like, oh, I don't know why she likes JD. He's actually a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly. He's he's the worst. He's terrible. And it's a, should be explicit. But even though you're saying it's it's so far, people are still not getting it mm-hmm. as far as it is. And if it goes any more subtle, suddenly you just have John Cusack. Or people watch Wolf of Wall Street and be like, oh, those guys are real cool. <laughs> people maybe are a little dumb. And they have been trained by generations of movies to believe that certain things are just good. And we don't even look at the actions on their face. We just say, like, he's in this role, so therefore what he's doing is romantic. Mm-hmm. And I think you can follow that along for about half of the movie. I think there's a lot of people who are even going to watch the murder parts and be like, whoa, that's really cool. Like, people idolize Harley Quinn and Joker and don't take any sort of, uh, like, commentary out of that. Right. That's the world we're in. So I don't think that JD necessarily had to be more reined in. I think if you do, you risk people going like, yeah, what a cool guy. Right. 
I guess I can see that they were trying to make sure that he wasn't like a heartthrob. Yeah. And even then, people still uh, take that away from it. Really? Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. Because the the reviews that I read talking about it on its 30th anniversary are saying like, oh, wow, I loved him as a, when I was a teenager. But now I realize he's a bad guy. This is a bad movie. They don't get to the point where it comes all the way around and they're realizing like he's such a bad guy this is a commentary on what we now call toxic masculinity right. but just the idea of what a strong male figure should be in films mm-hmm. because it's been built up for so long and this was like really in the heart of so many of those uh, this was doing this kind of commentary which i think is is quite clever and then i do think there are layers to jd's character that are very relatable not relatable in like oh i see myself in him but i've seen that guy i know that guy as big and crazy as he is like in so many movies we get this takedown of the popular kids and we realize like oh yeah the popular kids are mean but the creepy loner who's all like anti-establishment like ends up looking like the hero Mm -hmm. but if you've met those people in real life you know that's not usually the case a lot of the times that like creepy loner who's like oh yeah i'm not like one of you (laughs) you conformists they're usually just miserable assholes and sure yeah maybe they've led a harder life and that's what makes them that way but just being anti something else that is bad does not make you good right and i think this movie also predicts a lot about what happened with uh the narrative around school shootings and i think we're we'll get there probably at some point but this idea that anyone who is anti-establishment must have been like tortured and has some sort of uh, like artist soul to them sometimes they're just assholes yeah you can be popular an asshole and you can be a loner and be an asshole true and that's the case with jd i think they did a pretty good job of taking that glamorized anti-establishment rebel i mean his name is what's his name in this jd stands for not james dean jason jason dean so they're they're quite clearly like making him a james dean type right the the rebel without a cause right yes and they are ripping all the gloss off of that and showing you like this is your hero this rapist murderer is the person that you all cheer for in every movie. Mm -hmm. And by taking that so far, I think they force people to reckon with the preconceived notions they had of this character. Mm -hmm. Because we think, like, he's a handsome guy. He's wearing a dark coat. He noticed her. He must be the best. And there's no reason we should think that. It's just all these movies have conditioned us to think that. Right. And I really like how far they went because it tears that down. And in my mind, they could take it far enough that there's no question he's like a villain. Right. Of course, there's no taking into account everybody else. So apparently there is some question about him being a villain. But I think that it goes far enough that we can universally agree this guy is a monster, mm-hmm. but they started off in a place that's relatable enough for you to realize from those other movies, like, oh, wait, was John Cusack a stalker that whole time? <laughs> yes. Wait, is, what's his name, the vampire sparkly guy, Edward? Edward, yeah. 
is that a terrible idea for a relationship because he's very controlling and 100 years older than her? Yes. The answer <laughs> is yes. 100%. Those are all terrible. All of those people are terrible, but because they are good looking, it's forgiven. You have some good ideas, mister. <laughs> Thank you. So does that mean you concur? I concur. All right. One point indie. Yes. <laughs> well, should we go on to talk about Veronica now? Sure, yeah. Played very well by Winona Ryder. Yes. I had a hard time not seeing Lydia. Right. Since yeah, I guess we, we just, just watched that. it. That was one of the like... Very, like I, one of the most recent. It was the most recent movie we watched. I mean, it was um, really the only role I've seen her in in years. Right, yeah, because I kind of grew up with her and I had a, a crush on her as a child because of Beetlejuice. Right. So I kind of can separate one role from the other. Mm. But I love that, for the most part, not in all of the cases, they cast close to high school age people to play high school age people, which is something we do not see very often. Mm -hmm. And just having them be as young as they are really lends a lot of vulnerability to these characters. Yeah, that's true. I think we're so used to seeing these like jacked six foot four high school students and things now that are 34 yeah we get to the point where when they're murdering people when they're all having sex you're like yeah okay because it just seems like this could be any movie it just happens to take place in a high school but when you have people who look like high school students Mm -hmm. everything seems like that much more shocking true right so true yeah it's Um, They definitely, because they're the right age, and definitely because uh, Veronica is the right age, she she brings, like, an innocence to it, Mm -hmm. like, where, you know, you're trying to be cool, like the cool kids, and you can tell that she's, like, playing up her lack of innocence, but really she is, like, very innocent, and you can see that kind of under the surface. I thought that was Shannon Doherty as well. Yeah, like they're both trying to fill the shoes of the first Heather and neither of them quite have the like unadulterated meanness that she had. At first, at least. At first, yeah. But um, you can definitely see them uh, kind of trying to fill those shoes and um, maybe not succeeding at first. So we already talked about how uh, people kind of watch this movie and be like, well, this is a bad movie because he's not likable. And I'm like, that's the point. Mm -hmm. And does this movie have likable characters? And we'll start with Veronica because we're getting into her. Is Veronica likable? Um, I, I liked her. I think she is likable because she seems like an impressionable youth. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that she gets swept up first with the popular crowd and... I think lots of teenagers struggle with kind of extricating themselves from that when they realize that it might not be, like, good for them or where they want to be. So you can see her kind of... It's like a classic teenager thing. So do you think it's kind of like a battle throughout in her own mind and externally? And in the end, she ends up on the good side? Um, yeah, I think so. Maybe not the good side, because at the end, she does take the scrunchie back. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. Let's let's come back to that. Okay. But I feel the only character I'm unclear on what I'm supposed to take away is Veronica. 
I'm not sure if at the end we're supposed to like her even. Because mm-hmm. clearly with JD or any of the Heathers, well, actually, I'm not even sure if it's so cut and, and dry with the Heathers. But let's just say with JD, you're supposed to like him at the beginning mm-hmm. and then realize what a mistake that was and realize he's the villain. Right. I'm not sure what the takeaway with Veronica is. Like, of course, we relate the most to her, and she does realize that the Heathers are toxic, and she does realize that JD is a psychopath mm-hmm. and uh, gets out of both of those situations eventually. But is she better? Is she better than them? And I'm not sure about the answer. Like, usually the the Veronica in a movie like this is an outsider who comes to the clique and then shakes things up. Like in Mean Girls and probably many more movies that yes. you could tell me about. But here she's firmly entrenched in the group at the beginning. So are we just kind of projecting this idea of a sympathetic hero who is just caught up in this on her? I thought that that was kind of where she was coming from, was that she got caught up in this popular group Probably because her parents are rich and because she's kind of in that same, like, group or, like, class of people. Maybe their parents are friends or something. And that's how she ends up getting inducted into the Heathers. Because it's it's odd that, like, maybe not that her name isn't Heather. But it's, like, funny because a group like the Heathers lends itself to be, like, oh, we only accept people named heather yeah like the ashley's so then there's a veronica and it's like okay so i feel like she's new to the group is she though i don't think there's anything i think that's just something we take from other movies there's no indication i can think of that she is not as established as like shannon doherty's heather well i think the beginning of the movie where she's having like croquet balls hit at her well, I think that just shows that Heather within the group does feel like she's doesn't belong. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she hasn't been with this group for years. Okay. Right? Because she does have like her friend Betty. Yeah. Betty and Veronica. Um, she does have her friend Betty who she's abandoned to be with the Heathers. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't exactly come out in her favor. That right. doesn't make her look good. Yeah. We get some sort of regret and uh, sympathy from her towards other people, right? Mm -hmm. She doesn't feel good about the things she's doing to the other people. Like when she writes the note. Yes. She feels bad about it. Yes. She does it. Yeah. And I think when we go on, we find out that those, the two Heathers, the non-Shannon Doherty one, Heather, let's say Heather one, or Red Heather and Yellow Heather. Right. Because they all have colors, which I really like. Yeah. Um, We do find out and we'll probably touch on it later, that there is more to them as well. Mm -hmm. They're very tortured, and they're just not putting it out there. So why is Veronica special? She's acting like they do. We find out that the rest of them feel bad a lot about Mm -hmm. what they've done as well. So I'm not exactly sure why Veronica is better than them. It seems like that's what we're meant to believe. But is this like a case like I was talking about with JD where we're so programmed to believe the person in that role is a good person? Mm -hmm. Am I projecting that onto Veronica as well? Yeah, I don't know. The way that she interacts with the Heathers and with JD is it, it, it seems like she is smarter than she's acting. 
Mm -hmm. one. And two, it seems like she acknowledges that it's better to be like really disliking some of the stuff that she's doing and being popular. Right. But is acknowledging something is wrong and continuing to do it worse or better than not knowing something is wrong and doing it? Right. right. If you have no idea that what you're doing is hurting people or you don't care mm-hmm. and you go out and hurt people, that's one thing. But if you know that this is hurting people and then you still do it, is that better or worse? Um, I think it's worse, but I think it's also really hard to get out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think she knows that if she were to leave the Heathers, like when she throws up at the party and Red Heather says like you're dead to me on Monday yeah like this is it and then she realizes and so then she goes and tries and like like she wants to make amends with Heather clearly because she's like really worried about it yeah so we do have the other Heathers are more perhaps aggressive in their meanness right they're more starting all of these terrible things it's never really Heather's idea I mean it's never really Veronica's idea so Red Heather of course, embarrasses people, tries to ruin their social life. But there are some things that Veronica does, Mm -hmm. like murder. (laughs) Yes. Right? Yes. So we kind of didn't talk about that in whether or not Veronica is good or bad. She murders people. Yes. So this was one thing that I found kind of unbelievable, was that she and JD murder Red Heather. And then... Veronica continues hanging out with JD and he manages to convince her that they're not going to kill the two guys. Do you think she believed that? I think so. I don't think she believed you it. You don't? No, I think she knew exactly what was going to happen. Oh, see, I thought she believed that the guns didn't, like, actually kill people. So do you think the character who you just said is much smarter than the rest? would believe that, like, oh, we're just going to shoot them with these guns, that the bullets just go in a little bit. After they had just murdered someone the day before. I think she knew exactly what she was doing. And when he says those lines about, like, oh, yeah, it's just a, oh, what's he call it? It's a igluger, something like that. It's German, but what it translates to is I lie, is the type of bullet he's using. It's an I'm lying bullet. Oh. But, of course, he asks her, do you speak German? And she goes, no, I take French. Yeah. But that's just a little funny thing. But the look on her face, I take as realizing, yeah, that's not true, but yeah, okay. That's how I took that. I (laughs) believe she knew what was happening. If somehow she believed that this murderer who just murdered someone is going to shoot these people with the intent of some sort of magic bullet that only knocks you out and makes you bleed a little. Right. Okay. But then one person gets murdered in front of her. Yeah. She watches him chase the other guy. She goes down and checks and makes sure he's dead. Doesn't stop him from killing the second guy. True. So maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I think it's very unclear. Yeah. Um, I just feel like she is gullible. Because she doesn't want to think about the fact that they're, like, on a murder spree. Right. Does that make her, like, not as culpable? No, I don't think... I think that makes her just as culpable. I think she's trying to write it in her head. 
Right. That she's like, well, you know, he told me this about the bullets and and like, well, I missed him. So, you know, not my fault, not my fault. And then she ends up shooting him anyway. But it's just like, I think she's trying to tell herself that it's all JD and she was just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, and to some extent, like, that's true. She doesn't start the bullying. It's the Heathers. She doesn't give Red Heather the drink. Mm -hmm. She sees it happening, doesn't stop it. Right. She doesn't pull the trigger, but she sees it happening and doesn't stop it. Mm -hmm. And when she turns against JD, is it because JD is killing people? Or is it because JD is just the new Heather? It's a, just the new mechanism of control in her life and then she wants to get away from it. I think she is kind of making him, in her mind, the new Heather. She's realizing that the same amount of control that Heather had over her is happening with JD and all of a sudden she, like with the Heathers, is doing things that she's like does not like. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, I should probably like... Do something about Do some things, yeah. take a step back, um, and, like, m- make sure that I'm thinking of myself as well. Yeah. And in all this, what I'm saying, Veronica may very well be a villain herself. Mm-hmm. That's not anything to do with whether I like this or not. I think that's good. I like all of this. So I don't want to make it seem like, hey, she's bad, therefore it's a bad movie. Like I said before... I think that this movie makes you question what you think of as good and bad and what different movies or stories have programmed us to think is good and bad. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a great conversation to have. And I think it's very clear in other roles. Like with JD, you're meant to like him. Turns out he's terrible. Mm -hmm. With the Heathers, they're meant to be one-note, vapid, evil people. Turns out there's some complexity under the surface. But with Veronica... I'm very confused as to what I am to take away from it. Because, and now you were talking about this earlier, at the ending, she takes the red scrunchie and says, like, I'm in charge now or whatever it Mm -hmm. is. And if it stopped there, you would think, oh, she's taking control. She's going to be the new Heather. And that would kind of fit the tone of the movie, that this person we were meant to believe is a hero is just going to fill that power vacuum. Yeah. But instead, she goes and asks Martha to go watch movies with her. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be a completely earnest, nice, altruistic act. Yeah. So it ends on a very high up note. But that left me a little unfulfilled because she did just kill people. Mm -hmm. And it seems like she's going to get away with it, right? Yeah. Is this like an all's well that ends well? (laughs) Yeah, see, I didn't think that this movie... I think this is another thing that really confused me about this movie was that I didn't expect it to have a happy ending. Yes. Because it feels like she bested the other Heather. She bested the new Heather, Green Heather, who becomes red heather yeah it's very confusing it's not a great way of describing them but um and she also put like jd behind her and i feel like she feels like she can just start over again and that's how the movie ends is that she gets to just be like 
I'm going to go have a movie night. Yeah, but this movie makes everybody else pay for their crimes, but mm-hmm. not her. Yeah. Or are we led to believe that her guilt and her coming to this realization and now being good is payment enough? Mm-hmm. I don't know. See, that's that's the only part of this movie that I'm not even going to say I don't like, but it really confuses me. I know that's not true. A lot of the movie, is, I think, is confusing. But not necessarily that it's poorly done and confusing, just that there are a lot of takes in this movie. Right. And I'm not always sure which side that the film is on. And this is the biggest example of that, because I'm not sure what the takeaway of Veronica is. Yeah. Yeah, she's a hard one to kind of pinpoint for me. I feel like she should have either taken control and been like the new villain Mm -hmm. or maybe died. Yeah. Thematically, those two endings seem to fit better than what we got. Yeah, I don't, I didn't like the near death experience, I'm Heather now kind of ending that they did. And it just didn't, it didn't seem fulfilling. So, what do you think this ending as is means? I think, I don't know. I think that she's being left to pay for her kind of sins another day which doesn't seem good. She seems like she's shoving it all down and trying to like get on with her life, which is not really how murdering four people works. Yeah, you'd know. What? (laughs) (laughs) I think that the ending as presented is she's taking control now, but she's ushering in like a new nice way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to be about bullying. She's in charge, but she's going to make sure that everyone treats each other well and maybe that's it maybe that she has been the one to kind of uh, get rid of the old evil presences Mm -hmm. that we are led to believe she's going to be tyrannical and but in a good way like a benevolent dictator she's going to take out anyone who's mean and she's going to be in charge but everyone has to be nice Mm -hmm. that's interesting but i don't know if that's really even opened up exactly i think that's what i take from what we have here because she's the new heather she has the scrunchie but she's also being nice to martha yeah so that could be interesting and maybe that's actually a better ending than i gave it credit for that she is evil in the best way possible right like she's gonna take out it's very ambiguous you get to kind of like figure out what you think yeah maybe yeah maybe that maybe that is the best kind of thing for this movie that really isn't ambiguous throughout i think there is an ambiguity throughout it though because i think not all of these characters are as they seem or i think that's the point in a lot of them is you get one impression and then you're like oh wait was i right that whole time or not so maybe it's fitting maybe well i don't know i don't have anything more to say about (laughs) that i I think i've talked in circles now i am thoroughly circled i've convinced myself the thing i liked least about it may actually be brilliant so i don't know (laughs) Uh, Should we talk about the Heathers? Sure. So Heather Duke, Heather McNamara, and Heather Chandler are pretty popular and rich, it seems like. And they're all best friends, and they kind of rule their high school. And this is a... This is like a... A thing that inspired many, many teen high school movies and TV shows. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is like such an extreme version of 
what you see in other movies that um, I I liked it. Like the rest of the movie, the way they rule the school is much less rooted in reality mm-hmm. than a lot of contemporary takes on that we yes. get. Yes, like the croquet at the beginning of the movie and the fact that they're playing croquet at all. Well, croquet is very interesting because first, croquet, we think of like being wealthy. Wealthy yeah. people play croquet. Yeah. And the other interesting thing about croquet is it's one of the few sports where you are going on on your own but then in the middle of the game you can choose to fuck someone else over right and that's really telling for how they behave throughout the rest of the movie right true if, if they're playing golf it doesn't have that same thing but yeah there's no like the fact vindictiveness that they yeah some of them go out of their way to and they know who they can do it to and who they can't do it to yeah right? and they 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 all test each other within the group too mm-hmm. so you can see that there's this like certain sense of unease because you can tell that they kind of don't trust each other even though they're supposed to be best friends and like the clique that will never break up kind of thing it's funny because you see this distrust kind of bubbling under the surface and i think that's part of what comes up when veronica and jd gets to get get together is he takes her distrust and kind of pettiness at the other heather to be like oh you you want her dead okay done right yeah where she's like no i just like you know some days you come home and you have a fight with your friend and you're like oh i hate them she's just like venting and he takes it too far and she doesn't stop him she did write about literally killing her though it's not just like oh man i could kill her she's like no i want to kill her the world would be better if she were dead i want to kill her i feel like teenagers say that sometimes and don't yeah but it. she does it yeah i don't know i think when somebody actually does those things we can't just say like oh it was just a thing she said because it does in fact happen right mm-hmm. and she seemed quite serious but although it's i maybe that's what we're supposed to debate about heather mm-hmm. is did she know that those bullets were going to kill them did she really mean she wanted to kill heather or were these just kind of things that happened along the way yeah i don't know that she's definitely very easy to read either way yeah yeah she's what you want her to be maybe that's the message maybe Hmm. i'm not sure if their writing of veronica is something that they weren't clear what they wanted or if it is like the most brilliant thing and all of this debate right now is the very point of her character. I don't know. <laughs> like we're supposed to be debating about her? Yeah. And that's, that's what the writers wanted? Right, because that's kind of what they're introducing with the other characters. They're making you think a character is one stock John Hughes caricature that you've had in the past. Mm-hmm. And then they're flipping it or making it more complex or changing the outcomes. So maybe this discussion about like, what is Veronica? Is she good? Is she bad? She's maybe she's complex and maybe she's in the middle and maybe she's a teenage girl who doesn't quite know what's going on and things got away from her because that seems pretty reasonable as well. Yeah, I definitely think the latter is part of it. Like she realized all of a sudden she's like, oh, my God, I don't know how to walk this back anymore. And she was in over to her head. 
or maybe she is like an actual real our world teenage girl who gets put into this heightened world and she's just getting pulled in every direction yeah and she has the sensibilities of like a normal human and those sensibilities don't work in this heightened world or maybe that's the thing like it's high school right Mm -hmm. if you are a normal well-adjusted person and everyone is at an emotional peak all the time you are just kind of caught up in this whirlwind of all of that maybe that's the metaphor i don't know maybe it's brilliant maybe it's poorly written i don't know about (laughs) veronica just the only part that i'm really not sure what's going on yeah so back to the heathers i definitely think that they are kind of each a level up of bad after like one after the other Mm -hmm. like i think like red yellow green like red is number one, yeah, of like the worst. Number two, green. Number three, yellow. Because oh, yellow... do you think yellow is better than green? Yeah, um, I just think that yellow seems a little bit more like a follower than, um, than red and green. Well, green Shannon Doherty seemed like the biggest victim. She was the one that was being picked on the most by the other Heathers. Mm -hmm. So I feel like she was going on with things as a matter of self-preservation. And it's not until the very end when Shannon Doherty's Heather coerced by JD that she tries to like take power and gains that confidence and that evil confidence. Mm -hmm. Before that, even after Heather is kind of out of the way, Red Heather, Green Heather is still just meek and soft-spoken. I don't feel like she really does anything to anyone, not until the end. And that's still, like, because she's being blackmailed by JD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think that she picks up Red Heather's role faster than Yellow Heather would have. I feel like Yellow Heather would have had she gotten the opportunity, but she gets outed as being sad Right? And then that destroys her socially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's really interesting because they seem like three parts of the same kind of person, almost. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like Red Heather is just like a straightforward bully mean girl? Yes. Yeah, I definitely think she fits that that like tyrannical movie high school popular girl. But I think there is something underneath the surface too, right? Or is that just me? I don't think that there is something under the surface. Because there's the scene where she gets pressured into doing something with the guy at the college party. Mm -hmm. She doesn't seem like she wants to, but she feels like she has to. Right. And something happens. And then the next time we see her is in the bathroom. And she's just looking in the mirror silently. And she takes a sip of water and then spits it angrily at her own reflection. Yeah, I think there's some stuff under the surface, but I don't think that she allows herself to feel it. And she channels all of that into being mean to other people. That's true. I'll agree with that. Yeah. But I do think that there is is more. And I think that's one of the other subversive things that this movie does by taking your run-of-the-mill bully and saying, like, there might actually be something there. And I think in that one little scene, you kind of get a good glimpse into that because you feel like she didn't want to do that she felt she had to to maintain some sort of image Mm -hmm. and that she's she's disgusted with herself right and we also see that when uh she (laughs) commits suicide by jd giving her the blue train cleaner or whatever it is 
she falls through that table and the books there are um there's something that's like a time magazine and the title on it says the fall of the american teen and that might just be like a funny joke because she's falling through the table yes right next to it. i did see that and then the other book is uh cliff notes on the bell jar and have you read the bell jar no so it's a sylvia plath and sylvia plath is a great uh writer feminist many other things and the central metaphor of the bell jar if i remember from way back when <laughs> is a uh, themes of confinement and the confinement is very literal in the book but it's kind of um symbolic about systematic confinement about being forced into a certain role Mm-hmm. And that's often read as being a um, a feminist novel because uh, women as a whole were kind of forced into certain roles. Mm-hmm. And if you stray from that, you're seen as either crazy or a witch, which <laughs> sounds like a joke, but is painfully true. And that seems very fitting for this character of Heather that I'm kind of making up in my mind because we don't see much of it. But I feel like there's something there. Hmm. Okay. I also like that it's Cliff Notes. Yeah. Because she is still like... A teenager. <laughs> yeah, and she's not reading all these super heavy novels for real. Yeah, that's another thing. I don't know if this is intentional. I think it is because I think this movie is quite smart. They talk about books and interpret them incorrectly a lot. Like when they talk about things from Moby Dick, it's a very, very surface level and sometimes just wrong right. interpretation. And I don't think that's the writer not knowing their stuff. I think that's the writer knowing that high school students don't get all the nuance of something right. of a big giant book they're being forced to read. And we'll just like pick a line and be like, yeah, that that's my life. Yeah. Even though it may not actually be like even applicable. Yeah. Like yeah. when people take quotes from Polonius and talk about like, oh, see, look, this is how you meant, are meant to act and be like a true upstanding guy and you're like no polonius was uh, terrible he died hiding behind a curtain there's nothing to be proud of there we just hear quotes that we like to yes i I think definitely in high school to sound smarter right like if you can stand there and talk about like the nuances of something really like studious then you sound very cool and like smart yeah i've based an entire podcast career on that (laughs) (laughs) wait you're not actually this smart Oh, no, no. I'm uh, making everything up, but you don't question me. So, hey. Good answer. Here we are. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. I accept. (laughs) Well, I think this might segue a little bit into how they deal with suicide in the movie. And also, second Heather. So, Yellow Heather reveals that she, in fact, has depth to her mm-hmm. maybe not even depth but she's distressed and she thinks about more than what is being presented and she calls into that show was called hot probs something like that it's a think so. real funny name whatever it was i think it might have been that and she's ridiculed for it right just yeah right after heather one was praised for having like this depth of emotion because she killed herself she must have been like really deep but of course she didn't kill herself and they have no reason to believe that she had any any depth right Mm -hmm. and then when somebody actually is out there calling into a radio show saying like this is how miserable i am i can't go on anymore and then she wants to kill herself and she tries she tries to take those pills 
And there, she's ridiculed for the same thing someone else was falsely praised for. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really effective uh, satirization of the glamorization around suicide and around dying young. We look at it as something good. Mm -hmm. Like, look at Amy Winehouse. Everyone thinks that, like, ooh, yeah, she, like, she went out hard, right? And they look at her song about, they try to make me go to rehab, and I say, no, no, no. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, she partied hard. She died. Yeah. That's not something to glamorize. Yeah, she... She said they want to send her to rehab. She didn't go, and then she died. Yeah. I don't know what more of a cautionary tale there is than that. I don't know why things like that are glamorized. Well, I guess I do know exactly why things like that are glamorized, because it's easier. It's easier than dealing with the truth. Like Paul Walker, who was in Fast and Furious movies, died in a car wreck, and people praised that. How fucked up is that? He died, and everyone's like, yeah, "Yeah, man, way to go out just like you lived your life, quarter mile at a time. It's like, no, he's an actor. That was a character, and now he's dead. This movie that he's famous for is not his life, for real. So, uh, well, if I haven't already swayed you with my little tirade there, what do you think about how this movie dealt with suicide? Because one of the biggest criticisms is that this movie glamorizes suicide. Mm -hmm. I think that this movie does glamorize it, and I, I don't know that I'm okay with it, but I think it, the, like, underlying murder plot is what kind of saves it from being like, offensive or over-the-top in that sense. How do you think it glamorizes it? I think it... The way that it becomes, like, an epidemic, they're like, well, if one kid does it, everyone does it. So, like, it becomes a trend, and it's, like, cool for people to do this. And it's, like, doesn't talk about the fact that, like, that that doesn't actually really happen. That what doesn't really happen? That this, that it could be a trend? That could be a trend. Oh, I think that could absolutely happen. I'm sure if we research, I'm sure that is is the case. I don't think it's outlandish to suggest that when one person gets a lot of praise for for killing themselves, that other people would recreate that. But I don't think that's what the movie says, first of all. I don't mm-hmm. think they do say that there's a trend because the next two suicides weren't suicides. They were murders. Right. The real suicide are... Or attempted, at least, with Martha and Heather. I forgot the name, Heather. (laughs) In the movie, Heather? I was about to say Ashley. Um, And Yellow Heather. It's not because they saw this and were caught up in it. Mm -hmm. It's because they were deeply unhappy. And perhaps in Martha's case, seeing the outpouring of love for those other people Mm -hmm. does drive her but i feel like that is very possible and i'm sure we could look up if that has ever happened but let's look at things like a a school shooting where you would think like well just because one happened doesn't mean more are going to happen right absolutely it does Mm -hmm. that's that's uh, 100 the case that people see it and they see that a lot of the times those people also are glamorized. Like in the Columbine shooting, there was this narrative, the only narrative that I heard, that these kids that did this were bullied, they were outcasts, and they just couldn't take it anymore, and then that's what happened. 
that's not the case at all. They were bullies. They beat people up all the time. Just because they weren't the jock bullies Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they weren't bullies. They were bullies their entire lives. Maybe not their entire lives. They were bullied through their school career. And this was the ultimate culmination in it. Mm -hmm. And I think looking at people like that and saying like, oh, well, here's why they did it. It's because society's fault. No, sometimes people are assholes and they behave like assholes. And I think talking about someone as as horrible as a school shooter and saying like, and trying to empathize with them Uh is not always the best idea. And I know I'm someone who's saying like, see everything from everybody's point of view, that there is some good in everyone. Uh And we try to empathize. And to an extent, yes. But I think in the way that those ones were handled, they completely ignored, like, actual facts. And, you know, they never talk about the parts of, like, hey, they picked out popular people. They talk about that, but they never say, like, oh, yeah, they also picked out minorities because they were super racist. Mm -hmm. Like, that's something that they ignore because why would you take that out? Why would you take out bad things about a mass murderer? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you put that in there? Yeah. But they were very selective in what we hear the story that I heard, and it wasn't until looking into it much later, and I'm sure reading the book, yes. you've, you've become aware that they weren't just some bullies that were, or some no, bullied were, poor kids that were, like were picked on. white supremacists. Yeah. Who wanted to... Why do we never talk about that? They were on that? like a cleanse the earth kind of thing, as opposed to uh, like taking back control of their lives because they were bullied. Yes. And that's not the narrative that we hear. Mm-hmm. It's the same. Well, now I'm just on a rant. But like, why don't we ever talk about Charles Manson as like, oh, yeah, the whole thing he wanted to do was create a race war and kill all the blacks because they were taking over his country. Yes. That's not something people talk about. They talk about, oh, he's a hippie. Hippies are dangerous. No, white supremacists are dangerous. I also just read a book about Charles Manson. So, you know. I do know. But that's not what we're talking about here. How I'm relating this. Wait, what was I talking about? Uh, <laughs> um, that I think people can see things like this, see how those people are treated posthumously, uh-huh. and then idolize that. Right. I think that's happened with school shooters, and I think that it's reasonable to think that that could happen with suicide. Right. However, I don't think the movie does glamorize it because, well, in the first ones, that they are seen as better than they were in their life after death. Mm -hmm. Those ones didn't actually kill themselves. Right. Nobody actually kills themselves in this movie. Except for J.D. Oh, yeah, he does. So J.D. does. Is there something glamorous about it? No. I think, like we were saying, you go so far that there's nothing redeemable in his character Mm -hmm. anymore. I think that's the case. I think people who are not well Mm -hmm. will look at him and say, like, yeah, he went out like a like a champ because he did it on his own terms. And I think that's it's pretty fucked up if that's what you think. Because he was a terrible person who did nothing good for the world and now he's dead. Yeah. And I don't think that glamorizes suicide. I think it was a very selfish death on his part. Because yeah. he was like, well, I did everything I came for going out this way. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that Veronica just stands there and watches him do it. Yeah. Yeah, she lights a cigarette. Yeah. That might be my favorite I feel shot. like she's just so 
done with his bullshit too yeah and he's just tried to like murder her basically yeah. and she's just like yeah go ahead yeah do it then have fun do it bet you can't yeah and then he does but i think all of the coverage of the suicides doesn't glamorize it but rather is like a really scathing satire on mm-hmm. the coverage of it and i think it was very predictive of what would happen later with school shootings because the reaction of everyone is just like performative mourning yeah. everyone's going like oh yes i i knew her so well i loved her and all these things yeah and, and like that kid who's like well we went out we went out and i thought she said it was because i'm boring but it turns out she wasn't happy with her life everyone takes what they want from these suicides these people become martyrs kind of for the living because now you can do whatever you want with their memory right you can say yes we were best friends or you can say, like, I'm I'm helping all these students because, oh, here come the TV cameras. We're all holding hands. Yeah. It's all performative and very selfish. And there's a part where the, the one kid goes, like, oh, I need a tape of this for my Princeton application, yes. right? Yeah. I don't think that's glamorizing. I think it's showing this terrible, grotesque circus that comes about around tragedy. And it's picking it apart and it's showing it for how gross it is. Yeah. Gritty, is it gritty? I don't know. Gritty, maybe it's not the right word, but yeah, I uh, I definitely can see what you're saying with how it kind of exposes this like gross underside of high school. You know who the the real villain is? Martha. No, but knowing who I am, who do you think I'm gonna say? Veronica. <laughs> Ronald Reagan. Oh, okay. How would I have guessed that? Because I'm all anti-capitalist. Oh, right. Maybe you wouldn't have guessed Reagan, but you'd say American Capitalist Society? And it'd be like, yes. Because this is in 89, so... Or 87? What year is this? 89. So it's right at the end of Reagan's career. So it's kind of like peak Reagan when they're making this. And all if you're not familiar with him, anyone out there, he's a big ol' American capitalist, I guess. Is the the yeah. one sentence description I can give. And this movie doesn't have the kind of um like community you get in Mean Girls. At the end you do have people like banding together to make things better, right? In this it's competition. Everyone's competing with everyone. Even when you're mourning someone else's suicide, you're trying to get a tape so you can get into Princeton. Yeah. This is uh, like social Darwinism. And I hate that term because that's not what Darwin intended. That's just what capitalists took away from it. Mm-hmm. And this is what capitalism teaches in peak reagan times that everyone is competing with everyone constantly it's always a croquet match why would you take the easy go-ahead when you can screw someone else over on your way to doing on your way to winning yeah and that's what all of these characters are constantly doing and they're even doing it after that person has died they're trying to get one up on them right to be like see i was the best friend no i was the best friend yeah no i'm the most sad about this i think a lot of this movie and i know i talk about (laughs) capitalism a lot but i feel like there is clear reaction to all of those years of reagan in this movie i feel like i don't know enough about reagan or i could just say to capitalism Right. Really. To neoliberalism and capitalism and where it got everyone in the 80s at the time where this was probably the most celebrated. This was one of the few movies that was kind of subverting that. And really, this is subverting so, so many things. Along that line, do you feel like this is an effective satire? 
Because that was one point where you were like, nah, I don't know. So what do you think? Yeah, I I don't know that I found it likable enough to be an effective satire. So you mean to be truly effective, it just needs to be a better movie? Yeah. Overall? Okay. Like, but... I, I don't think that it's one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, instant classic. And so then I feel like it wasn't written well enough to take it where it needed to go to become that. What do you think makes an effective satire? Um, I don't know. I think it is that it's just not very well written. Okay, so do you think that this is, in fact, a satire? You just didn't like it. I think it is trying to be a satire, but it doesn't hit properly. Okay. So that is one thing that I would probably disagree with, because I think that that is its strength. Along with, like, really funny one-liners. Mm-hmm. Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. <laughs> what the fuck does that mean? It's great. There's so many good one-liners in it. But there's always going to be, like, a real fine line between satire and glorification. Because to satirize something, you kind of have to show it in a light, not terribly stark and gritty way, right? You have to make it uh, approachable in some mm-hmm. sort of way. And I think with characters like... JD and Veronica, people might think that it's not satirical because they're they're cool, they're good looking, mm-hmm. you like them, you want to see them on screen enough. Right. But although I'm not sure if I've convinced you about Veronica, I think you could say with JD at least, he's gone far enough that he is now a villain, right? Yes. He is uh, subverting that loner character that we think is like cool and edgy, right? Yeah. Basically, they're trying to make him something that he isn't the writing so would you say that's not effective satire if you're able to take a character and make it that stock character make the audience relate to him as we would david boreanaz as angel Mm -hmm. but then get you to gradually to realize like no wait this is an absolute literal psychopath he's the worst He's a rapist, he's a murderer, he's going to blow up the school. There's nothing good about him. Mm -hmm. I feel like that makes it an effective satire, at least for that character. Because they had us on one side thinking something and then switched it on us. So you like a character and they kind of dare you to like him. Like, Mm -hmm. well, do you like him now? He's sitting and watching her. And you're like, yeah, I still do. Like, well, what if he murders one person? You're like, yeah, but she was bad. And they just keep going one more and one more. And Mm -hmm. they dare you. Like, do you still like him after we showed you him trying to rape the star of this movie? Do you still like him now? Mm -hmm. And then at some point you have to be like, no, I don't. I was stupid for liking him in the first place. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty effective way of doing it. And I think that... There's often consequences for the actions of things that you normally wouldn't. Like when they're laughing in the church and the little sister sees them. Like if you still think that he is cool by the end of this, I think the problem is with you, not the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like you have something wrong with you. Yeah, if you think JD is like a pretty cool rebel, there's something probably wrong with you. Is this like a litmus test for if you're like a psychopath? I think Love Actually is. I think if you like those characters, there's something wrong with you. They're so bad. I think JD is two steps further than a romantic lead in Love Actually. Hmm. Not much. But then there's like other things like in the cow tipping scene. Yeah. So first of all, cow tipping. Not a thing. 
it's not real. So many people think it is. I've had people say, like, no, it's real. I did it. It's like, you didn't. You were lying. <laughs> you were lying to me. You did, the cow tipping's not real. Cows are more stable than humans. Yeah. And also, they lay down to sleep. Yeah. But anyways, um, do you remember that scene? Yeah. Do you remember what's going on in the background? That they're just standing there? Heather is being raped in the background of that scene. When they're tipping the cow? Yeah. Which Heather? So it's a double date with right. Heather, Veronica, and the two jocks. Right. Ram and Kent, Jeff, something like that. The, the oh, two, yeah. The I two can't keep their names straight. But I yes, used to remember she is. Ram. Yes, and I did know that. That she's being raped in the background? Yeah. Yeah. So that's happening. I think you could see that and think that the filmmakers are maybe just making like a tasteless joke, but I don't think that's the case. I think that that's a commentary on how commonplace sexual assault on dates is mm-hmm. and a commentary on more importantly maybe on the reaction to those around you who don't notice mm-hmm. and the movie doesn't seem to notice and it's kind of like daring you to notice right i think that's what makes effective satire as well because it's taking something that especially in 80s movies there's so much date rape played as comedy Mm-hmm. Like if you watch Revenge of the Nerds or Porky's or anything like that, there's a lot of super sketchy stuff. And it's just a joke. But in this movie, it's also super light and they just have it in the background. It's not played as a joke, but it's happening. Yeah. And it's just kind of begging you, and uh, the viewer, to notice and to say something or do something because nobody else there is. And I think that is effective enough to make you think, if you notice it, why is it there and why isn't anyone saying anything? And if you're thinking that, if you get to the point of like, why isn't anyone doing anything about this? Mm -hmm. They've done their job and I think they're doing it well. Right. Because, yeah, you should notice that and you should be shocked that nobody's doing anything about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely think that that is good satire, that part. Where you're kind of seeing things that are, like, almost taken for granted as, well, you know, that's, like, high school. <laughs> and then I think all of the reactions around the suicides, I think that is brilliant satire. And I think it's, like, predictive because we, I'm sure there were tragedies in the 80s. I, like, we can't remember them. We were babies. Yes. But... I was for literally we, a baby at this point. <laughs> but for what we see now... And the reactions around one of whichever mass shooting is going on. Yeah. People just use it for their own gain. They glorify people that they don't know. All of these things happen. And I'm not sure if they had a a context for that at the point, because I'm not really sure what news coverage was like at the time. But it's either a brilliant satire of what was going on, or it's a brilliant predictive satire of what's going on now. Which is scary if it's that, for sure, because that is, it it was such a thing, and he's even, uh, JD is even dressed like the Columbine guys. Yes. In those trench coats and like planning their outfits was a huge part of that. So it's like. Yeah. And it's not like JD's copying the Columbine yeah. guys. The Columbine guys are copying a like stereotype of a cool loner that yeah. movies have put forth. 
and they they see themselves in that role. They're like, we're anti-establishment. Nobody gets us. We're we're better than all of this. We're cooler mm-hmm. than all this. We know better than everyone, which is dangerous and just like shitty and immature. Mm-hmm. But we glamorize that we glorify yes. that and we say that like yeah those guys are cool they they know something that we don't these like your james deans or your i keep picking on john cusack who's a good guy but he just had those roles yes. in the 80s right <laughs> um, poor john cusack in those trench coat wearing loners yes. because that was a trope in 80s movies yeah and this movie is showing you how silly not just how silly how dangerous that is yes because now it means something completely different yeah or does it? I think there are clearly people today who do that, who think like, well, I'm not like the rest. All of these, whatever you call them, what are they, the plastics in? Mean Girls? Yeah. yeah. They're all so superficial, but not me. I'm deeper. I know more. I'm so tortured. Yeah. But you're not. You, everyone's probably pretty tortured. Sure, people have a hard time growing up, but I don't feel like there's a correlation between the people who had a really hard time growing up to the people who are miserable loners to who's those who are popular. I think there are plenty of popular people who are miserable beneath the surface, right? Mm -hmm. So I I think that's what makes this a great satire, all of those things. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's very smart. We never did talk about like the light stuff that we were going to. What light stuff? We were just going to (laughs) go around and talk about like funny little things. So I'm just going to say a few different things. Um, I just love the phrase, what's your damage, Heather? <laughs> I do like that, yeah. So good. I love that Winona Ryder wears a monocle. Yes, you didn't notice that until like It was like halfway into the movie. The movie. And I'm like, wait, like, she's wearing a no, monocle? No, she's wearing it every time she writes in her journal. I kept writing notes during this one. Oh, uh, All it. of the notes I have not touched yet because I got passionate and angry about other things. <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed their outfits. Their outfits were super fun in this. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to love the like, fashion part of the movie. But in this one, I think it's very important. It's very important because it does kind of speak who they are for them. Visually, this movie has way more in common with Beetlejuice than I was expecting. <laughs> like, especially when you get to the dream sequences, of course. But like, even yeah. when they're in church in real life. Yeah. Not just because Otho is in it, but... <laughs> That church scene was so surreal. Yeah, everything with the church. But I think that that's like a commentary on how surreal death is at that age. Like as a teenager, because you kind of feel like you're invincible and you're going to live forever at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're like, oh, someone like actually died. Yeah. And you're processing the fact that like it's real and it might not feel real in your brain. So, yeah, I, I think that the like church scenes and the like memorial scenes seem a little like either over the top or kind of far-fetched just because of that yeah and i think everything in the movie is pretty heightened and stylized yeah like there's all the red and blue Mm -hmm. like people are bathed in red and blue lights at different points and i was trying to figure out the symbolism of that if like the red is the tyrannical color and the blue is the uprising one but i couldn't follow that through so I'm sure someone out there has tracked it more than I have. I'm sure there's a 10-page essay on the internet about that. Yeah. Written by Indy. <laughs> oh, not yet. Soon. Um, lunchtime polls. Yeah. My friend who uh, loved Heather so much when we would go to bars when we were like 20, we would make a lunchtime poll question, go around and ask anyone. 
<laughs> there is a lunchtime pool in Mean Girls. Oh, yeah. I was going to say that, like, there were some things we were talking about in the pre-episode about, like, what you think is kind of, you asked me what I thought was kind of inspired by Heather's. Mm -hmm. So there was two things that stood out to me. There's, like, the outfits in Mean Girls. Um, and then also the outfits uh, in Gossip Girl, which you haven't seen. Right. So Gossip Girl is a show. It was on the CW. Um, and they just rebooted it with a new cast. But... Um, Wait, there's a new Gossip Girl? Yeah. It's not like a sequel? Wait, isn't that show new? Like original Gossip Girl? No. How old is it? I think it started in like 2003, 2004. Oh, okay, that's older than I thought, but still, I don't know if you should be rebooting shows from that recent. Like, yeah. we still have them. Yeah, they, that show's still there. <laughs> they're, they're. I think they're making it more like the books. Okay, hmm, interesting. I think what we need is a reboot of Perfect Strangers, a perfect political climate for a Perfect Strangers reboot. And you think I'm joking because I think uh, the Perfect Strangers theme song is the best theme yeah, song. Yeah, you talk about it a lot, but. <laughs> I cut out in the last episode okay. where we talked about this. But the idea of two people from very different worlds coming together and having to live together and finding some common ground, I'm just saying, it works. <laughs> uh, so in Gossip Girl, there's like a hierarchy and the queen wears like a bejeweled headband throughout the seasons. And then when the original queen graduates, she hands the tiara off to the kind of the next generation. And then uh, that girl becomes kind of the heather of the school, I guess, because she becomes like the mean girl. When I ask you when things you're watching are satire and you say no and you're offended... I think maybe we just have different ideas of what satire maybe. is. Because I think that is satirical. It's taking this uh, very figurative hierarchy that exists in high schools and making it very literal. Mm -hmm. I think that's a clever satire. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I love is uh, how very. Oh, yeah. It's going to be very. <laughs> because that's also predictive. Because today, people are like, oh, you're so extra. Yeah. Right? It's the exact same thing. Or like, yeah, just... Could you not? Could you not? Not what? Extra what? Very what? You don't need to know. No. If you don't know, if you, you don't, don't know, know. You're like not cool enough to know. So then everyone just assumes that they know because they don't want to seem uncool. I love the phrase same difference. I used to say that when I was a kid. I think it was just like a I 80s, think that's 90s just like thing. A thing that we yeah. said. Yeah, same difference. Is she your friend or your enemy? Same difference. That's like, that's kind of really encapsulates a lot. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and the song, uh, Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It by Big Fun. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I that think that's like hilarious. That seems like such a 80s teen song mm -hmm. that would be popular. Yeah. And I think that that's another way that this isn't glamorizing suicide because they're rather satirizing how other people react to it, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, this is the world's best solution to it. It's not uh, sitting down and talking to your kids. Because no. that never happens. It's making a pop song. Yeah. Right? This is how we get through to the youths. I loved that uh, the biggest symbol of being gay is drinking mineral, mineral water. That was hilarious. Yeah. I love, of course, the line, I love my dead gay son. <laughs> That's brilliant. And people say that all the time. But I think what's kind of lost in that scene is then JD, who is the worst, asks... 
how would you feel if your son was gay and still alive? I bet you wouldn't be that supportive then. Yeah. And I think that is painfully true. Very true. Yeah. And especially still now. Yeah, that's another part of all of the the suicides and deaths and that we can take whatever we want. You can be supportive of someone when you don't have to actually support them. Mm -hmm. And we don't know this dad. Maybe he's the greatest guy ever. But I think that a lot of the times that's the case. Yeah, I think they're supposed to be playing him as like a... He, like, he was that, like, macho football dad. Yeah. Who's like, yeah, I hit harder. But he loves his dead gay son. Yeah. But I do love that there's the inclusion of that girl crying. Because yeah. that changes everything. The sister or whatever. Yeah, that whole thing could have just been the joke. That, hey, we got them to kill each other. Hilarious. Mm-hmm. But this shows, like, the the real world repercussions to all of this. Mm-hmm. Because we do mostly just get people taking what they want and using it for their own benefit whenever someone dies. But every now and then you get to see the real world repercussions of it. Yeah, yeah lots of really fun little moments in this movie, for sure. I did, like, uh, the parent-child interactions. Like, Veronica and her parents have the exact same conversation twice. Yeah. And about I, the prom date. And... Or the funeral. Yeah. Whatever it is. And the and funeral, it's like, yeah. I can't remember her line, but it's like, good pate, but I got a motor if, I got a, if I'm going to make it to that funeral, party, whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. It's the exact same conversation. On the other end, uh, Christian Slater and his dad switch roles. Mm-hmm. And they only talk in, like, sitcom platitudes of, yeah. like... Things that have been said many, many times by many, many people mm-hmm. that and I think both of those just go to show that there's no real interaction between parents and children in this. It's all just the things that they've always been saying and always will be saying, whether it's on TV, it doesn't even matter which one of them is saying it because they don't have meaning. Mm-hmm. It's just you're my child. I say this. You're my parent. I say this. And they could be interchanged. Right. Yeah. And I think that's another uh, clever way of they're not really addressing any of the teens concerns they're just giving them pop songs they don't actually talk to anyone Mm -hmm. so while we were talking i did discover something what and i think two of these both of these are um are helpful to us so i just looked at the trivia part of imdb Mm -hmm. and this one part is just scary so jeremy applegate was the actor who prays in the movie that he will never commit suicide he shot himself and committed suicide in real life. Wow. Kim Walker was the name of the character that Heather asks, did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Has a brain tumor? She died of a brain tumor. Oh, no. Aren't those just like shocking coincidences? Yeah. That there would be like two in one movie, too. But the one thing I did find that really might help solidify things in my mind, at least, the original ending was not shot. It was cut because they wanted to give it a happier ending because the studio would not accept their current ending. Hmm. So that's what I felt was the most incongruous of the movie was this ending where Veronica is like kind of nice now and things yeah. are going to be good. And you were saying that it just didn't feel quite it right. Just Yeah, it didn't feel like a movie that needed. So in the original ending... JD does blow up the school. Oh. Everyone dies. And then there's like a surreal prom sequence in heaven. And everyone gets along. Just like Haley said, the only way we could all get along is was in heaven. Wow. 
I kind of like that better. That seems like it would have been fun. Like, like a more sensical ending, even though it kind of seems like nonsense. Yeah, and like the jocks and the metal kids and the Heathers like all dance together. Hmm. And Martha sings on stage. Hmm. Martha. And then the next another ending they pro- and another ending they proposed and was rejected is Martha stabs Veronica and shouts, Fuck you, Heather. And Veronica is as she's bleeding out, says, My name's not Heather. And that's the end. Oh. I actually would have liked that. Because yeah, I think I like that one the best. That would at least give me a conclusion on what I think of Veronica. Because if she dies, she's had to pay for all of the things she did. Right. And she kind of should, right? Yeah. If If Heather, one, has to pay for her bullying with death, shouldn't Veronica have to pay something for her like parting all these murders. True. Yeah, a little comeuppance at the end. Yeah, I think that would have just made Veronica seem more like a villain. And then I think I could wrap my head around that a little more clearly because that seems appropriate. I agree. Well, we managed to talk a lot about Heathers without talking a lot about Heathers. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like we do this quite a bit, though. Yeah, yeah, I kind of get carried away sometimes. Sorry out there, Heathers fans, but I feel <laughs> like you can listen to all sorts of podcasts that will go over your favorite catchphrases mm-hmm. because they are really good. Exactly. Um, this one, though, is for me to get carried away with stuff and you to tolerate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Samantha, do you have any final thoughts on your first watching of Heather's? It wasn't what I expected, but mm. I enjoyed watching it. I, I feel like that's the most thought that I can give it right now because like there's so many things that it's not just like a a quick final wrap up thought. <laughs> True. It's a little more complicated than that. What about you? I I like it. I might love this movie. I oh. liked it more than I thought I would because I had seen it when uh, many years ago and I was like, yeah, it was good, but. I don't think I like sat and appreciated it, maybe. Mm. And even today, we were kind of doing this as a rush, so maybe my mind will change going forward. But I do think it is very funny mm-hmm. for like all of those lines. I think the script is hilarious. I think it's very smart and like a really scathing satire if you're willing to look for it. And I think people might uh, group this in with Clueless and Mean Girls. And I think, that, of course, there's a lot in common with those in the the setting and the the high school nature of it but i think those are like coming of age stories that ultimately focus on building community Mm -hmm. right there's like an upside to those yes this is something much much darker and i think um, maybe election is something that's a little closer to it but i think this is equally american psycho as it is mean girls it's something that seems over the top and a lot of people hate, but it's because they might not be looking and seeing what the movie is actually doing. Mm-hmm. We will absolutely do American Psycho on this, but I know that's a movie people hate. And in that's another case where I'm saying, like, you might just not get it. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually a criticism of a lot of the things people think it is promoting. And mm-hmm. I think that's what this is. Uh, do you have any watch-alikes if people like this what would you recommend them i'm not even sure mean girls mean girls i guess okay so if you want something that's like 
either more updated or a little bit less dark. Maybe Mean Girls or Gossip Girl would be a little bit more, like, up, not uplifting. Uplifting is the wrong word. <laughs> like, a little lighter. Definitely. Um, I was just looking on the IMDb now, and the director of Mean Girls, his brother, wrote Heathers. Oh, all in the So family. I think he kind of took a, he owes a lot of his uh, success on Mean Girls to his brother, I'm going to say. I'd say so. Um, I might recommend, along with the movies we already talked about, uh, do you remember Jawbreaker? Did you ever see that? Mm-hmm. I feel like that was like a darker... Yeah. Or did you ever see Drop Dead Gorgeous? No. I think you might like that. It's kind of a, a, about the pageant world. Oh, okay. And it's pretty dark as well. Hmm. Dark funny. Right. So I haven't seen those in a very long time, but I feel like they kind of come to mind when I think of this. Right. Well, let's take this opportunity to thank our second sponsor. And this episode of I Love This, You Should Too is brought to you in part by the Business Council of Alberta. Samantha? Yes, Indy. Have you ever wondered what it takes to create a good life in an equally good society? One where people, business, and the environment can flourish? Funny you say that. I I could not sleep last night because I was thinking about that. You joke, but I totally do. <laughs> I know you do. Um, <laughs> well, I got a podcast for you. Oh, perfect. The Alberta Better is a podcast by the Business Council of Alberta, and it's on a journey to understand what it takes to create a good life here in Alberta and how we as Albertans, businesses, and governments can shape our society so everyone prospers. Hmm. Kind of like an ideal situation, what they were going for in Heather's, but of course, it did not work out. No, it did not. You can find new episodes of Alberta Better on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us right now. You mm-hmm. can listen to them as well. Go Google it. You can also listen at businesscouncilab.com slash Alberta Better Podcast. Mm. That's businesscouncilab.com slash Alberta Better Podcast. And new episodes come out every tuesday so if you're listening to us when it came out tomorrow there'll be a new episode of their podcast perfect and speaking of podcasts we're one where can people reach us so we are on all the things uh you can find us on instagram and twitter at iltys and the number two you can email us at I love this you should and the number two at gmail.com and you can find us on Facebook at I love this you should too dash podcast. We love to hear from you guys and uh, we have Halloween spooky time coming up here soon. Yeah next month is spooktober so every episode is going to be all spooky themed. Yeah. Well to some extent. I think we have different definitions of spooky. I think so. I don't know what my movies are going to be yet but you know what? I'm excited to go pick some because that means I can start getting all spooky right now. I don't know what my costume's going to (laughs) be. Me neither. We're usually very prepared. I kind of forgot. September has eaten my life. (laughs) I didn't think I would have to make another mask-based costume this year, but I think I do. Oh, I didn't even think about that. But this year, we'll maybe just be boring adults and give away candy at our new house. Oh, I'm dressing up. Oh, you're I don't d- care. Okay. I, I've never not dressed up for Halloween since I was like 15. Oh, okay. Well, we'll come up with some good ideas. If you have any good ideas that are mask-based and 
good for adults, then uh, send them our way. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Me do it. That's going to be the drop no. at the end.